When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 41, and we are recording on Tuesday, August 9th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Welcome! Hooray! <laughs> Tuesday! Tuesday! I have, I have no words about it. <laughs> That's I'm the just, name of the day. <laughs> I'm just excited because it's a Tuesday during the Olympics, which Ooh. are my problematic fave. Like, they're terrible for the cities that they're in, but I also do love watching them. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I had, like, rowing on in the background while I was prepping this morning. I haven't been watching the Olympics, but I've been watching Twitter watch the Olympics. Which, which is, is really, also great. It's <laughs> so entertaining because they get so mad about, like, they get really mad about stuff that would irritate me if I saw it also. You know, like, mm-hmm. the way that the female athletes are being covered by the media and all that but then they also make gifts like michael right. phelps weird face yeah. <laughs> and i love it so the and the internet. board lifeguard i love the board lifeguard yeah. <laughs> every, the, if you guys haven't seen that please go look it up it's yeah, really great it's good every time you feel like your life is bad remember that somebody has to be the lifeguard at the <laughs> olympic swimming events and it's just like a lady sitting on the side looking so sad yeah. about her choices <laughs> anyway uh this is okay so now i'm going to put in your regular scheduled reminder that you should all join us at Book Riot Live, which is November 12th and 13th in New York City. Uh, we have a special code for you. If you go and register, you can use Jazz Hands for $20 off the weekend pass. That's your coupon code. You put it in during your checkout. Um... And we'll also get you 10 bucks off your day pass, but, like, I highly recommend you come for the whole weekend. We have so many amazing authors, uh, and the programming is going to be awesome. So go to bookriotlive.com for more details. Remember, code JAZZHANDS. All right, so if you're new to the show, uh, this, like I said, this is a personalized reading recommendation show. You write in your questions for reading recommendations that you need for yourself or your book club or for a gift or for whatever makes you happy. You can send them to getbooked at bookriot.com or you can drop them in the form at the bottom of the show notes of every episode on the site. If it's time sensitive, please do leave us a note in the subject line of the email or in like the first line of the uh, question when you leave it in the form so that we can try and get to that on time. Okay, so moving on. We're going to read the first question, then I'm going to talk about our first sponsor, and then we will get to the answers. So that is all Jen. 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 Sorry, I forgot about my mute button. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Donde esta Jen? <laughs> I am here, I am here. Okay. Uh, okay, sorry. So our first question is from Kathy. She says, I have a serious book hanger- hangover at the moment, and I don't know how to fix it. I just recently tore through Carry On by Rainbow Rowell and fell completely in love. The romance was so well written and completely adorable, and I couldn't stop squealing the entire time. Same, Kathy, same. Uh, <laughs> what books would you recommend to fill the bad slash Simon-shaped hole in my life? I love fantasy novels, urban or high fantasy, but have never liked romance novels, so I prefer something that has a healthy plot with a good romance. They can be YA or adult. I don't mind either way. Uh, okay, so, but first we'll do our first sponsor. Okay, so our first sponsor is To the Bright Edge of the World by Eowyn Ivy from Little Brown and Company. Eowyn Ivy wrote The Snow Child, which came out a couple of ti- a couple of years ago, which I have recommended on this show a few times because I love it. It's great mythology in the Alaskan wilderness in, like, the 30s, which is great. Um, so this one is a historical 
fiction adventure romance, which just like hits so many of my buttons. It takes place in the 1880s, and it's about a couple, a colonel named Alan Forrester and his wife, Sophie. Um, Colonel Forrester is taking a small band of men on an expedition up the Wolverine, uh, Wolverine River, excuse me, in Alaska and into the Alaskan territory to, you know, do the thing and discover the stuff and be the men and all of that. So he leaves Sophie behind. She's pregnant, and, you know, you don't take women on that kind of expedition in the 1800s. Um, and he is recording his experiences in his journal. And back at home, Sophie is also recording her experiences in her journal. And there's a, it's, a, it's got also an epistolary element, uh, letters that they write, diary entries, newspaper articles, and things like that. Um, so Sophie is unhappy at home. She wants to go off and do great things and have big, grand adventures just like her husband. She's kind of chafing under the social restrictions and expectations of a pregnant woman. She discovers photography um, and kind of finds a little bit of an out in making art, but she's still pretty angsty about it. And so, you know, stuff happens um, out in the wilderness and you have to kind of decide who, uh, which narrator is reliable if either of them are. So yeah, check that out. That's To the Bright Edge of the World by Eowyn Ivy, who is the best. Okay. Um, I guess I'll just keep going. So lighthearted fantasy YA is kind of what I got from this, because that's really, I think, the high notes of Carry On um, by Rainbow Rowell. So my first pick for you is Hex Hall by Rachel Hawkins, first in the series, which has a little bit of every kind of YA or paranormal being uh, in the same way that Carry On sort of does. So the main character is Sophie. She's a witch. Um, her mother is not a witch, but her father is a European warlock who's, like, not in her life at all. Her mom, when she discovers that she that her daughter is a witch, is trying to, like, be cool with it and, like, help her out uh, and learn to adjust. Her dad isn't really around, but when she um, attracts too much attention to herself, she, she casts a spell on prom night and, like, everything goes really badly. So, uh, you know, attention is brought on her and so her secret um, is about to come out. Her dad comes, like, out of nowhere to decide that she needs to go be exiled at a reform school called Hex Hall, which is for which is very shapeshifters, vampires, warlocks uh, who are misbehaving, essentially. So her first day doesn't go well. She makes a bunch of enemies of, like, you know, the mean girls who happen to have superpowers. Um, she develops a crush on a really attractive warlock who's not very nice to her. Um, her roommate is the only vampire on campus. Um, and then she learns that there's, like, a predator that's been attacking the students, and her vampire roommate is the number one suspect, as would happen if you were the only vampire in a school full of non-vampires. Um, and so Sophie has to solve the mystery, uh, all while dealing with these mean girls who don't like her and negotiating her crush on this warlock. So it's got a lot of that, like, funny, like, it's funny, funny, feel-good YA um, with a splash of demon stuff and um, a nice, warm, fuzzy romance. <laughs> a splash of demon splash stuff. Of demon stuff. <laughs> Actual <laughs> show title. It's Hex Hall by Rachel Hawkins, <laughs> a.k.a. Splash of Demon Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, my first pick for you, I was thinking a lot about the Baz Simon thing and trying to come up with books that had that kind of, like, I hate you, oh my god, maybe I love you relationship <laughs> in them. Because that's, like, what's so compelling about Baz and Simon, right, is that, like, they cannot stand each other and also they want to make out. Um, so one of the books I found when I was searching for you is Whatever by S.J. Gosley, which is about a guy named Mike who's, like, a pretty normal teenager, um, kind of a slacker, like, he and his friends have a stupid garage band and hang out in parking lots doing skateboard tricks, and then his girlfriend breaks up with him, and also he gets 
elected to homecoming court, and he realizes he's probably gay. And so, like, his life is just kind of like, like, it's not an actual apocalypse, it's a personal apocalypse. Um, and then he also maybe is falling for a guy and, like, trying to figure out who he is and, like, struggling with that. So I think it's kind of like that fish out of water, like, I don't actually know who I am and I've been living this life and I don't know what to do with it and now I have all these feelings and what do I do with these feelings? Um, so I think that might be a good comp for you. So that is Whatever by, or the subtitle, I love the subtitle, Whatever or How Junior Year Became Totally Bleep uh, <laughs> by S.J. Gosley. Okay, uh, my second pick for you also is going for that I love you, I hate you kind of thing. It's called The Ghost and the Goth by Stacey Cade, which is just the best title. Um, and the main character's name is Alona. Alana? Probably Alana. A-L-O-N-A. Um, and she is the, like, requisite blonde mean girl cheerleader homecoming queen etc. Um, and she's a, she's mean, like she's not a nice character. You don't initially start off liking her. Um, she's a cheerleader and is very rude <laughs> to um, kids who aren't cool. You do find out a little bit that like her home life isn't great, but uh, you know, it doesn't really excuse her behavior. Anyway, so she dies, like she gets run over by a bus <laughs> and is dead and is a ghost. So that's the ghost in the title. Um, the goth in the title is a kid named Will, who's kind of an outcast, um, you know, kids call him a freak and all of that. He's not actually a goth. Like, he's got a couple of piercings and he wears a lot of dark clothes, but it's not, um, not like the kid, the, the girl from NCIS whose name is escaping me. Um, that goth character. Oh my gosh, this is going to bug me. Abby! Ha ha! Abby from NCIS. Real goth. Will from the Ghost and the Goth. Not a real goth. So his problem is that he sees dead people. He sees and hears dead people. Um, and... So it's got him a little jumpy and kind of angsty, and for that's the reason why kids really make fun of him. Um, and he walks around with, like, an iPod in at all times, and he's got, like, a doctor's note for it um, so that he can kind of ignore the conversations of the dead people around him and try to just, like, function. Um, and then one day he realizes that a new ghost, somebody he doesn't know that ha is putting off a lot of negative energy, is like, trying to hurt him. Um, and at the same time, he's communicating with Alana, who is newly dead and pretty mad about it, and is having trouble deciding if she wants to, like, follow the white light um, or stay around and watch her friends and her boyfriend move on from her death, which is really hard for her. Um, of course, they hate each other because they come from, you know, very breakfast clubby, different um, sides of the tracks and different um, cliques or whatever in school. Uh, but then, you know, she's dead. And so he, she starts to help him kind of try to, like, solve the mystery of this entity that's after him. And they, they learn to see the good in one another, as one would imagine. So that's The Ghost and the Goth, also first in a series by Stacey Cade. All right, so my second pick for you is, doesn't have a love-hate relationship, but it's really sweet and fun and has a lot of the, like, other kinds of relationships that I feel like Carry On has. Like, I really loved all of the friendships and the different levels of people in Carry On. So this book is The Rest of Us Just Live Here by Patrick Ness, which is kind of the flip of Carry On. What if you are not the chosen one? Like, mm -hmm. so, you know, uh, it, like, in, in Carry On is like a, a takedown of the chosen one narrative. The Rest of Us Just Live Here is a different kind of takedown. It's like, what if you go to school with the chosen one and yeah. you're like, you're like a red shirt? <laughs> like, what happens to you if you're a red shirt? You're just um, like that kid at Hogwarts. You're just that kid at Hogwarts or in, you know, Sunnydale or wherever. Um, 
And so this book follows Mikey, who really just wants to graduate and go to prom and, like, really is hoping that nobody tries to blow up the high school during these things for the eight millionth time or that, like, there's not another vampire attack or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe he wants to ask his crush out, but he doesn't know. And maybe she likes somebody else. And and then his best friend is, like, you know, maybe kind of uh, worshipped by mountain lions. Like, what's going on? Like, there's a lot of weird stuff in his life. Um, and he sees the, the kids who are like the chosen ones and just kind of wants to stay out of their orbit because he doesn't want anything bad to happen to him because he's not. And so they're the guarantee that he will survive is minimum to none. Um, and Patrick Ness does such a good job with this. It's so funny. It's really lovely to read. It's really sweet. Um, the kids are all really entertaining characters. And there's like these little interludes where he describes in like three sentences what is going on with the special kids. And it's so funny. It's so tongue in cheek. So that is The Rest of Us Just Live Here by Patrick Ness. Okay, question two is from an anonymous listener, and she says, This year I took horrible fertility medication that made it impossible to eat, yet failed to get me pregnant. I'm finally off the meds, but I'm now 20 pounds underweight and struggling to gain it back. My doctor won't let me try to get pregnant again until I get back to a healthy weight. After years of intuitive eating, I now struggle to have any appetite and find the experience to be very stressful. I'm working with health professionals, but I'm hoping to supplement my recovery with good books. Can you recommend some fiction or memoirs that encourage body positivity or will enhance my appetite? I'm looking for positive, fun books to get me through this difficult period. Please, no books specifically about eating disorders or infertility. All right. Um, I'll just keep going. Yeah. Okay. So my first uh, pick for you is Delancey. The subtitle is A Man, A Woman, A Restaurant, and A Marriage. It's by Molly Weisenberg, um, who you might know from the Orangette uh, food blog. And she has a podcast, I think it's called Spilled Milk, uh, that I listen to. And it's great. And this is a memoir of her... Um, opening a pizza restaurant called Delancey with her husband when she really like just doesn't want to. So she marries a guy named Brandon and he's a composer and is interested in a lot of strange things unrelated to composing, like making ice cream and espresso machines. And he's the kind of person who has this like obsessive personality, which I relate to, where he like gets interested in a thing, learns everything he can about the thing, then gets bored and moves on. Um, And so leaves this like garage filled with crap having to do with whatever hobby um, that he's no longer using. So when he decides he wants to open a pizza restaurant and gets like really obsessed about it, Molly is supportive of him, not because she actually wants to do the thing, but because she never thinks that he's actually going to do the thing. Uh, But then she wakes up one day and he's like signed a lease and is learning how to make pizza crust and is like building um, brick ovens in their backyard to try and perfect making pizza. And so the memoir is part the process of renovating a space and turning it into a restaurant and all of that. And Delancey, the restaurant does actually, like, it it opens, it's a success, and Molly is now a person who owns a restaurant. Um, And so she's also talking about, like, the pressures that come along with owning the restaurant. But it's really about her and her marriage and what she wants out of her life. And the book includes some really yummy-looking photos that Molly took and also 20 recipes um, that of, like, the... The concept here is like food that chefs eat at home when they're too tired to cook. Um, but they're all really, really good. Like there's an excellent recipe recipe for pulled pork. And they're very simple because, you know, after you've been standing on your feet for 16 hours um, serving food, the last thing you want to do is like go home and make some super complicated things. So I feel like if you're um, in a place where food is doing nothing but frustrating you, uh, reading about somebody else's, the food that, that someone else makes when they are also frustrated with food for obviously different reasons, but... 
um, might be helpful. And they're all real good. The ones that I've tried are real good anyway. Really good, I'm sorry. So that's Delancey by Molly Weisenberg. Yeah, I hear you on this question, Anonymous. When I broke up, right after I broke up with my ex-husband years ago, I could not eat. Like, I lost so much weight. I just had no appetite, and food was, you know that phrase, like, it was like ash in my mouth. Like, literally, I understood what it meant. I had never understood that phrase before. So I was trying to think about books that I wished I had had during that period. Um... And one of the books that I thought of is uh, beloved of our coworker Rebecca Shinsky. Uh, <laughs> it's called Life is Meals, a food lover, a food lover's book of days by James Salter and Kay Salter. Um, you may have heard of James Salter. He's like a multi award winning, best selling author of a lot of great books. Um, but what this is is it's a beautiful illustrated like daily books. So literally there's a page for every day of the year. Um, and it's them talking about food. Um, sometimes it's in context of other authors and books. Like they talk about, um, you know, like John Irving's family recipe for meatballs, Mm -hmm. um, or like, you know, where Samuel Beckett ate French onion soup or whatever. Um, but they're also talking about like the experience of being in the kitchen and making food for each other as a couple and, you know, meditating on what food means to them in the context of the rest of their lives. Um, and because it's a daily, it's like you don't have to sit down and read the whole thing, right? You can read a page a day or you can skip around and do whatever you want. Um, so that's kind of a fun way to dip in and out of a book without feeling like assaulted by all of the food stuff, right? Because it's a lot of food stuff, obviously, but you can just do a page a day. So that is Life is Meals, A Food Lover's <coughs> Book of Days by James Salter and Kay Salter. Okay, my second pick for you is Animal Vegetable Miracle, A Year of Food Life by Barbara Kingsolver, who is probably better known for her novels, um, like the Poisonwood Bible. But this memoir is about her moving her family from somewhere in the southwest, I don't remember what state, but they move from the southwest to um, rural Virginia, and they buy like a farm and decide that they're only going to eat food that comes within, I think her rule was 100 miles of where she lived. Um, And so they, you know, start a garden, she's raising church. Turkeys, uh, all that sort of thing. And so it's part memoir in that respect and then also part investigative journalism into um, what our food production line looks like in America, which involves, you know, the use of a lot of fossil fuels. We ship in out-of-season foods from, you know, South America uh, at all times of the year. Um, and, you know, you can go to a grocery store and get pretty much anything you want, whether or not it's supposed to be growing at that time of year Um because that's the way that we've designed it. And so uh, the thing that I, I really like about this, but it's very easy to take something like that and make rules for yourself, right? Like, oh, well, I'm only going to eat food that was grown within two miles of my house. Um, but that's kind of not the point. I think the point is that food um, should be simple, like go outside and eat an apple, you know, that kind of thing. And it, it doesn't need to be this like fraught, um, horrible conflicted thing that we have within our own selves. It can just be a thing where you go to a farm stand, which a lot of places have now, and just eat some vegetables. Um, And she does include a couple of recipes and also some really funny stories about, like, trying to get her turkeys to mate, which is impossible because we don't raise turkeys like that anymore. Like, on big industrial uh, turkey farms, they aren't, they're, like, what are they called? Artificially inseminated and all that. So, like, trying to get turkeys to just, like, mate in a farmyard is near impossible. <laughs> and it's hilarious. And, like, she, like, there's one part where she starts, like, running away because the, the big male turkey starts to chase her. Anyway, it's really funny. <laughs> turkeys are mean, yeah. They're super mean. Oh, yes. They're they vicious. Mean. Especially when they're, like, in a mood. Yeah, no. It's just, like, not satisfactory because they don't know what to do anymore because it's been kind of bred out of them. Um, and so... 
Yeah, so simple food, and there are some recipes that are included that are really great. Um, so that's Animal Vegetable Miracle by Barbara Kingsolver. My second pick for you is a little out of left field, uh, but bear with me. It was The Night Circus by Anarin Morgenstern. Um, the reason I'm recommending this is because I was trying to think of books that were not about food, but that reminded me of food, which is, I'm, there are a lot of good books that do that. And this was the first one that came to mind because I remember when we were all first reading it, like however many years ago that it came out, everybody was like, you can taste the popcorn, you can smell <laughs> the circus. like, And it's true, like there's... There is so it's about a, a night circus. If you are unfamiliar, it's about a circus um, that appears during you know just arrives one day and sets up. And there's all of these amazing exhibits that like seem supernatural, and it's because they are. Like there's actual magic behind this circus. And um, the circus itself is actually a sort of contest between these two rival magicians and their apprentices. Of course, the apprentices fall in love and like are trying to figure out how to be together in the face of this age-old rivalry and really weird structure of the contest. Um, and the circus is kind of going on around them. But it's a book that really plays to the senses. Like, you really do feel like you're there in certain moments and that you can smell the, you know, circus food and that you can taste it when the characters eat it and you can see what's going on around you. It's a very sens sensate visual book. Um, and I felt like that might be helpful. Like, because it, it's hard to have cravings when you're in that kind of emotional state, and so maybe this will help with that a little bit. Um, so that is The Night Circus by Erin Morgenstern. All right, next question is from Freaked Mom Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Carrie. Uh, says, the reason I am writing to you is to ask for reading recommendations for nine my nine-year-old daughter who just got her period. She seems pretty comfortable with it, and we are rereading the American Girl book, The Care and Feeding of You, which is pretty basic. She reads at a seventh grade level. I would like stuff that's not too overwhelming on a subject level. I would like both nonfiction informational books like the one we have, but also fiction chapter books about girls getting their periods early. Um... I'm talking body positivity here. Uh, she's the first in her group of friends to get her period. Um, we are homeschoolers, and I have a really supportive group of moms who are helping me, but I could use a couple reading recommendations as well. Uh, thanks so much in advance. Okay. Um, I'm going to keep talking. Boy, yeah. is this a hard one. I could not find any books uh, in my searches. I mean, I'm sure they're out there, but I couldn't find for in the time period I had to prep for this question any books about nine-year-olds getting their period. It is pretty normal these days, but I know, understand how that feels really scary. Um, I did find this book that I think uh, will work in a different way. So it is Millicent Min, Girl Genius by Lisa Yi, and it's about an 11-year-old girl uh, named Millicent Min, who is a genius. Like, she's an actual certified, verified super genius. She's reading at three and, like... You know, now that she's 11, she's taking college courses and is a junior or a senior in high school. Like, she's very advanced. Um, and so clearly she has not had a normal childhood. Like, her parents have done their best. They're, they're not geniuses. They're just, like, normal, smart people. Um, and they've tried really hard to you know, provide her with childhood experiences, but Millicent kind of isn't having any of it. Like, she's so smart, she's like, I just don't understand why they want me to do kid things. Kid things are stupid. Like, I can't wait to be a grown-up and be with my peers, my intellectual peers, and, you know, do all the grown-up things. Like, she just wants to be a grown-up because she thinks that that's when 
she like her life will make sense um and she doesn't really have any friends and she's like having kind of a rough summer um and then she meets a girl emily her parents force her to take volleyball over the summer and she meets this girl emily and emily doesn't know anything about her she's new in town she doesn't know that she's a genius and suddenly millicent has a friend like she has a new best friend so she's trying to navigate her way through this friendship without revealing that she's a genius because she's afraid emily won't want to hang out with her if she knows that (laughs) Um, and there's a great scene in this book where Emily gets her period for the first time. Emily is 11 or 12, so a little bit older than your daughter. Um, but the thing I liked about this scene is that Millie kind of doesn't know what to do with this information. Like, they're sitting there, and Emily's trying to talk to her about it, and Millie's uncomfortable. And it's not a big deal, but, like, it was a very classic scene of, like, what it might be like for your daughter to talk to somebody else about it who might not know how to handle it. Um, and it just kind of normalizes that conversation in the context of a friendship. Like, it's not a breaking point. It's not a making point. It's just part of their friendship, the thing that happens. And then they move on to the next thing. So I thought a normalizing moment in a book that's otherwise not about periods might be good for her. So that is Millicent Men Girl Genius by Lisa Yee. Um, I also had trouble with this question. Um, I have boys, so I have never really thought about uh, this, which is silly because I'm still going to have to explain it to them, like, one way or the other. Um, Anyway, so I went, I took this to Slack to ask the other contributors um, who have maybe more experience uh, with nine-year-old girls. I don't know. Anyway, so the suggestions that they gave me, the first one is It's Perfectly Normal, which is by Robbie H. Harris and Michael Emberley. And this has been out... For, like, decades. But, of course, they they give out new editions. And the last edition came out in 2004. And I also just realized that this has been on a couple of banned books lists. Which, um... Means really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I don't know why. I mean, it's like it's a sex ed book. How so like, dare you tell you children it's perfectly normal? Pretty much that's it. Like I was reading through, uh, once I realized that, I went and like looked it up um, to see what the problem was. And that that was the problem was that it like says the word sex in it. Um, anyway, so. Terrible. Terrible. It's exactly what it sounds like, right? Like, the, the subtitle is a book about changing bodies, growing up, sex and sexual health. So that's, it covers everything from like, you know, the where babies come from sort of question to HIV. Um, everything that happens during puberty, how to use your birth control, all that kind of stuff. So it's uh, both genders, and um, there were some, like, some of the chapters I feel like might not necessarily be, I don't know, appropriate for a nine-year-old, but that's really up to you. So you can read through um, the different chapter headings and pick the ones that you think would apply to your daughter uh, right now. And then, you know, keep it around for when she's a bit older. So, I mean, that's that's an entirely personal parenting decision. So that's It's Perfectly Normal by Robbie H. Harris and Michael Emberley. Um, I really did want to find a book for you, Mom, um, but I just, I, everything I looked at was, like, kind of did that fear-mongering thing where it's like, we're all going to die of hormone poisoning, and you're like, well, that's not helpful. <laughs> like, that may be true, but it's not helpful when you're trying to deal with these things. So I don't have a recommendation for you. I have another one for the both of you. Um, the book is called The Swap by Megan Schull, and it's kind of like a Freaky Friday-style book, except for instead of a mom and a daughter switching places, it's a boy and a girl who are friends um they are uh, 12 they're tweens and um they are like they make a random wish and suddenly they have swapped bodies um ellie is kind of i mean she's just a normal girl um and jack is one of the cool kids at school 
And she had always assumed that, like, being a popular guy, like, you don't have to worry about body image or, you know, you don't have to worry about dealing with the girl fight stuff. You just kind of, like, act like you're cool. And she discovers that that is not as easy as it looks. Um, And then Jack thought that, like, girls had it easy. Like, they didn't have to, like, deal with dad expectations and, like, all of the boy posturing that goes on um, in the male world. But then he finds out that, like, dealing with mean girls at sleepovers and, like, having to talk about periods is, like, really hard also. Um, so now they're trying to, like, they try to, they're trying to figure out how they can switch back. And in the meantime, trying to, like, carry on living each other's lives in the, middle, in the midst of middle school dramas. Um, so I thought this would just be fun and, like, again, kind of normalizing period time. Like, it's part of the story, but it's not the point of the story. So it's, you know, in there and in a very casual sort of way. Um, But it is in there, so it's presented as normal, which is good, because it is. So that is The Swap by Megan Schell. Oh, and it's going to be a movie, which is fun. So... Or maybe, oh, really? it, maybe it already is a movie. Wait, let me see. 2014. I don't know. It says there is a note that there might be a movie. So who knows? <laughs> okay. All right, so my second pick was Period, A Girl's Guide by, like, 18 million people. The main author is Joanne Lulin. Never said that out loud. Um, so this is another thing that was published in, like, the 70s, but has new editions. The most recent one came out in 2000. And it is uh, exactly what it sounds like, A Girl's Guide to What Happens During Your Period. But also, the thing I appreciate about this book is that it goes into further um, chapters about, like, how films and advertising and various aspects of pop culture can make a girl feel some kind of way about like her body when in reality everything about your body is fine and you look awesome and you're great uh which is a thing that not isn't really covered in like your normal generic like sex ed manual that people uh, give to kids um so i thought that was nice and also when it does go through the chapter about menstruation it doesn't talk about sex at all really um like so if that's a thing that you were worried about or, like, we're just not ready to go into with your kid, um, then this might be a, a better alternative. Not better, but, you know, an alternative. Doesn't need an adverb there. It's just an alternative. Um, and it also has, like, a practical advice for girls and, like, what to do when you're, you're like, out in public and don't have a tampon kind of a thing. Or, like, how you're going to feel when you're PMSing and um, what to expect when you go to the OB for the first time. So, again, that might be a little bit too old. Some of that information might not be necessary for a nine-year-old. Um, but it's nice to have around for when it is. Um, and everything else in the book would be relevant. So, that's Period, A Girl's Guide by Joanne Lulin. All right. My turn. Okay, this question is from Amanda, and she says, I'm asking this for my mom, who's an elementary school librarian, grades K through 5. She's looking to update the school library with some new graphic novels that the kids would find interesting and encourage reading. She has dork diaries, but doesn't feel it has a very positive message, and I have suggested Lumberjanes. Do you have suggestions for new graphic novels appropriate for elementary age kids? This one was kind of tough for me. <laughs> oh, really? I was yeah. like, yeah, I got that. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, my kids aren't old enough to be, oh, yeah. to, they don't read yet. So uh, right. I haven't really gotten into, like, the graphic novel stuff with them. But I had a lot of fun doing the research. <laughs> I went to the library and, like, checked out the entire kids' graphic novel section. <laughs> Sorry, everybody in Richmond. That was my bad. Um, anyway. Awesome. You can go first. I've been okay, for a while. I'll go first. Um, I am going to recommend to your mom. She probably already has some of these in stock, but if she doesn't have any Ra- Raina Telgemeier, 
definitely get Raina Telgemeier. Raina Telgemeier is amazing. <laughs> um, and her newest book, Ghosts, is a really good one to add for a couple of reasons. Um, it's about a girl named Katrina whose little sister is sick. She has cystic fibrosis. And they're moving because they think that uh, she will benefit from being closer to the ocean. Um, and so they're moving towns. Kat doesn't really want to move, um, but they're moving anyway. And so they go to this new town and they're exploring their hometown. And their neighbor tells them that there are ghosts. Um, and Maya is like, oh, I'm on board. I want to meet one. And Kat is like, that's ridiculous. And also, I have no desire to meet a ghost. And the book kind of revolves around the Dia de los Muertes. Um, and so it's a little, so which is a time when ghosts reunite with their loved ones. Um, and as you might guess, this book is kind of about death um, because the younger sister is sick and Dia de los Muertes is part of the story. Um, and so Kat is trying to figure out how to, like, you know, live a life where you have a sick younger sister and you just moved and you're just trying to figure out how life works, which is what happens when you're a kid. Uh, so that is Ghosts by Raina Telgemeier. I think um, I was double-checking the reviews of this because, like, there's things I don't know about, like, that I would want to make sure were good before recommending this to a school librarian. And the reviews are really positive. Um, one commenter did say that the cystic fibrosis, uh, the level of severity in the book is a little unusual nowadays and that it's more manageable, but, like, you know, that was the only... And she was like, otherwise, I loved this book, which I think is a pretty strong recommendation. So that is Ghosts by Raina Telgemeier. Okay. All right, uh, my first pick was Space Dumplings by Craig Thompson, which is amazing. Uh, it's about a girl named Violet who lives in a galaxy far, far away. Um, she is poor. She lives in what's the, what they call... It's an asteroid belt, essentially, but it's kind of like a intergalactic trailer park where the poor members of the society live. Um, her father is kind of like a garbage man sort of a thing, and her mom works in a factory sweatshop. And so her mom um, gets a promotion to go work in um, a space station doing like actual design, which is kind of her dream. Um, and while she's there, she takes Violet along and Violet like is exposed to this world of like security and prosperity and all of that. Um, and while she's there, she makes friends with a sentient chicken, as one does. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, big giant space whales come through her asteroid belt neighborhood and diarrhea all over everything, which destroys oh, her neighborhood and her school. <laughs> And then her father goes missing when he's, like, off trying to solve this problem. And so she steals. Um, I know. It's such, like, the more I talk about it, the more ridiculous I'm it is. I'm dying. I'm going to mute myself. It's so good. <laughs> she has to mute herself. Yay. Um, so she steals, like, a space ATV, essentially, and takes her sentient chicken friend and another friend of hers who works at a junkyard and, like, goes off to find her dad. And so it's, like, you know, kick butt little girl doing a thing with a sentient chicken. And while she's out doing that, the the the, no, the graphic novel examines a lot. I mean, it's obviously there's a lot of stuff about class and like growing up poor. Um, there's a lot of stuff about bullying in it also, wherein one of the characters kind of starts off as a bully and then uh, becomes less a, a bully as he befriends um, the character he's bullying, who is the sentient chicken. Um, so if you know if kids are having if the kids you you know or that your mom knows are like having trouble. Um, or if that would be, like, traumatic for them to read about, then that's a thing to know. But in general, it's just about, like, a girl driving a space ATV through whale diarrhea trying to save her dad, uh, which, what, what else do you want, like, really? Uh, so that's Space Dumplings by Craig Thompson. Oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Send you a chicken. So good. I can't. 
Space World area. Okay, yeah. all right, all right. Mm-hmm. Um, my second pick for you <laughs> is Giants Beware, which is the first in the Chronicles of Claudette series. I recommend all of them. They're by Jorge Aguirre and Rafael Rosado. And um, these books are great. So this is about a young girl named Claudette who lives in kind of like a medievalish world. And she is going to be a giant slayer. She is ready to go slay giants. But there are no giants in her village. Like, what are you going to do? So her best friend Marie, who is an aspiring princess, and her little brother, who wants to be a pastry chef, um, embark on a super secret, no parents allowed quest to find a giant um, and defeat the giant so that Claudette can become a giant slayer. It is a really lovely book. Um, there are, as you might have guessed, very non-traditional gender roles, um, but there's a lot of action, so it appeals for sure to both boys and girls. Um, and the story is super fun, obviously. And I feel like Rohiger, like he, this man does a million billion school visits a year. Like he, I have run events with him when I was at the bookstore, and he's fantastic. Um, and I feel like he really does get like kids and kid humor and what kids are interested in. Um, and I just can't recommend this series highly enough. So that is. Giants Beware, which is the first one, uh, by Jorge Aguirre and Rafael Rosado. Okay, my second uh, one for you is Hilda Folk by Luke Pearson, which oh, is... I love Hilda Folk. It's so great. It's yeah. um, kind of a Nordic folktale, but like hipstery. Uh, that's not completely accurate. Anyway, the little girl, her, the main character, her name is Hilda. Um, she lives in some mountainous, very cold area, and it's like the... The language is really, really simple, and the story is very simple, but it's a little bit creepy, kind of, but not in a way that's, like, going to frighten kids, but just in that, like, slightly dark, whimsical way of, like, fairy tales, in a way that kids seem to really enjoy, that I remember enjoying. So it opens with her, like, a a big storm is coming, and so she asks her mom if she can go sit in her tent and sleep in her tent, um, because she likes the sound of the rain, so she does that, and then she comes inside and wants to draw, and so she goes off on an adventure with her best friend, who's, like, a fox with antlers somehow, um, and she goes off to draw a troll rock and then the troll rock comes to life and chases her around and um, turns out to be uh, not harmful at all. Um, there's a lot uh, in here. I mean, a lot for like a 25 page graphic novel, but there's uh, stuff in here about being bookish and about not making assumptions about people based on what they look like. And it's in general, just a little adventure story about a girl and her fox friend. Um, and it's really cute and heartwarming. So that's Hilda Folk by Luke Pearson. Oh, it does have, it does have one curse word in it. If that's a thing that is going to deter you from having it in your library. It's the D word, just so you know. Oh. Do with that information which will. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I mean, my kids hear that at home, so I, <laughs> I, I, have, no, I have no complaints. <laughs> Hashtag modern parenting. I know. Whoops. <laughs> oh, all right. It is time for our second sponsor, uh, mm-hmm. which is Every Library, which is an organization that works to help support libraries all across the country um, so that you can do things like go and totally clean out their graphic novels for kids section (laughs) and take them home. One of my favorite things to do when I visit my nephews who are six and is he two and a half or is he three now? I think he's three is to go to their library. Like that was what they wanted to do when I visited. I see them like once a year. And what the first thing that they wanted to do when I visited was to take me to their library to show me. And it was actually a really cool library because it had like Uh, It had a sort of community space, which is clearly where they do story time, but it was a little bit like a little raised area, and so there were all these stairs and ramps, and they just did laps around (laughs) the story time room. And, like, they were very quiet while they were doing it, but they were definitely doing laps, um, in addition to pulling out all of the books on the shelves. And all of the librarians were lovely, and we made sure to clean it up all before we left. 
but it was so nice to have a place to see them like in their natural habitat which was basically their local library so obviously libraries are near and dear to my heart and there are a lot of uh, people out there in local and national politics who are trying to defund libraries because they don't think they're worth it um, and what every library does is to build national support for libraries so they run local campaigns they petition they do petitions they go to DC and try to help lobby for legislation that will improve libraries as so they do all kinds of good work and you can help you can go to everylibrary.org support local uh, and check out what is going on in your neighborhood you can sign petitions you can help with local campaigns you can do all kinds of cool stuff um, so that is everylibrary.org support local and you should check it out and thanks for sponsoring the show okay question five is from madison uh, I'm looking for recommendations for my boyfriend for his birthday in mid-August. Each year... Sorry, we're a little late on this one. Sorry. Yeah. There's so many time-sensitive questions now. We're trying. We're trying. Um, okay, so each year I give him two books for his birthday, and he does the same for me. We are rising college sophomores, and he will most likely major in art history. He's primarily interested in religion-based art and art periods spanning from the Middle Ages to the mid-1700s. Uh, when he has time to read, he has enjoyed Frankenstein, stories by H.P. Lovecraft, and Marvel slash DC Comics. He's also a fan of suspense, um, obsessed with Godzilla movies. Last year I gave him Ready Player One and the Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Uh, but Amanda, why don't you talk for a minute? Okay. Um, okay, so I think the book that you're looking for is Kraken by China Yeagle. Because <laughs> um, it's very Lovecrafty and horror-y and weird. Um, and I love it so much. China Mabel's brain. I just can't, like... Who, no, it's just what unreal. What what, what? Happens in the, what happened to you? Make it, <laughs> like, I love it, so please continue. But, like, um, anyway, so this takes place in London at uh, the Darwin Center, which is in London's Natural History Museum, at Natural History Museum, and the main character's name is Billy. He is a cephalopod specialist, ha, 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 as one is. Um, and when the book opens, he's doing a tour of the Natural History Museum. And the big, like, climax of the tour is supposed to be showing the people their specimen of a giant squid. But when he takes the people, the, like, tour group into the room to see the giant squid, he, realized that it, he realizes it's gone. It's, like, vanished into thin air. Um, so <laughs> this kind of plunges him into an otherworldly kind of war that's happening in the underbelly of London that he doesn't know about. And this is one of my favorite, like, subgenres of, like, normal dude stumbles into a big mythical plot about the end of the world. I love that so much. Um, so what's happening in the background is, like, there's a congregation of the god Kraken, which is, uh, like, a sect of people who worship actual squids. Um, there's a criminal he's called the Tattoo, and he's just, in a very, like, Voldemort sort of way, um, a crazy person who's inked onto the body of somebody who has nothing to do with what's happening. Um, there's also the fundamentalist and sect-related crime unit, uh, which which is a branch of crime fighters who use sorcery to battle, you know, fundamentalist and sect-related crime. And there's just a bunch of other really demonic and weird characters. Some of them are super supernatural. Some of them are um, normal, but are somehow involved in the supernatural world. And all of that, for the whole book, all like 400 pages, uh, is them either looking for Billy who doesn't know it, but who holds the key to the missing squid and looking for the squid, who is actually an embryonic god who could destroy the world. So super, super Lovecraftian and very strange and great and very page turnery. So that's Kraken by China Mieville. That's one of my favorites. I mean, they're all my favorite, but that's, yeah, 
it's up there. Uh, okay, so uh, you, he likes comics, and he likes horror, and he likes art. Boy, do I have a recommendation for you. It is Hexed, The Harlot and the Thief, which is volume one, by Michael Allen Nelson and Dan Mora. And this book is great. It is about a woman named Lucy, who goes by Lucifer, uh, who is a supernatural thief for hire. She's got magic, and she goes, and she steals things. It's totally fine. Um, and her her sort of mother figure slash mentor Val runs an art gallery and so one of Lucy's jobs is collecting things for Val for the gallery um they also collect supernatural things that are you know should not be in the wrong hands and uh make sure that they stay locked up as much as possible and uh in this story Lucifer accidentally unleashes a evil who has been caged up in a painting in the art gallery for untold amounts of time and now would like to kill everyone because that's what happens um and so it's there's a lot of like weird creepy monsters there's great magic the art and the storytelling is fantastic um and it's kind of off the beaten path of graphic novels it's published by boom which is you know not marvel or dc so he may not have come across it before um and there's there's at least one more if not two more collections in the series and i recommend all of it. The story gets so good. Oh my gosh. And this, this, uh, I mean, it's much more modern art, but there's some great panels in this first collection that I like flipped. I just flipped out over because I was an art history minor for a short period of time. And like the way that they use art to help tell the story. Oh, it just like gives me, you know, I'm waving my hands over here. Like (laughs) I'm doing all of the jazz hand slash hand waving. So that is hexed. Uh, volume one is called the harlot and the thief. And that is by Michael. Alan Nelson and Dan Mora. Okay, my second one is also a graphic novel. It's Monstrous, uh, Volume 1 by Marjorie Liu and Santa Takeda. And this one just came out, um, I think. Yeah, super recent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I've been reading it since it, since it started in single issues uh, since last year, and it's so good. Um, so it's billed as like a steampunky kaiju fantasy. Um, it's super violent, lots of big scary monsters, very Lovecraftian in that regard, uh, except it has, like, a really kick-butt female main character. His name, Her name is Micah, and she exists in this universe where um, humans and, I guess they're kind of chimera, like these these monsters that are, they're like people, monster hybrids kind of thing, um, exist and are at war with each other. They're kind of in a stalemate at the moment, and the stalemate consists of this the humans enslaving uh, the chimera. That's not the word that they use. Arcana, that's the word they use in the comic. Um, and Micah is a girl who is enslaved. And while she is, um, like, taken into service or whatever, uh, you realize that she's got a whole other mission um, that she's on. You also realize that she's, like, kind of possessed by an ancient monster that comes out of her arm. So she's missing an arm, and eventually, sometimes when the monster, like, wakes up within her and takes over her personality, um, she becomes super violent, and the comic is really violent. Um, kills everyone around her, and then the, the like, tentacle things come out of her arm. It's really weird and very trippy. Um, and... I'm like, I'm trying to figure out how to describe the war without getting into too much. I'll just do whatever. I'll skip that part. Just suffice it to say there's a big war uh, going on. And her goal is to try and recover her memories of what happened to cause this war. Because she was there when she was a little girl. And also to find out what happened to her mother. So she's like on her own quest. And along the way, she picks up some really great secondary characters and has to learn how to deal with this ancient thing that lives within her and comes out of her arm. Which is, you know kind of par for the course in this universe where things are super weird. So that's Monstrous by Marjorie Liu and Santa Takeda. 
Okay, question six. Wait, wait. My, I oh, didn't oh, do my so second one. I did one. this last week, too. I'm so sorry. I don't know what my deal is. <laughs> You're just so excited about the next question. I was okay. looking at the time like, man, we're making such good time. I know. Time. We're still going to make it. We're still going to make it. Okay, so my second pick for you is The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Laval. And the reason this one is so perfect is because Laval is also a huge Lovecraft fan, but as like a person of color has had a lot of problems with the unsavory aspects of Lovecraftian, you know, writing, um, mm-hmm. which are not great. And uh, this kind of was him working on, like, reconciling his problematic faith. Like, how could he write a Lovecraftian story and kind of reclaim it um, for himself and for people of color? And uh, the results are awesome. So this is The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Laval, and it's about a man named Charles Thomas Tester, who is kind of like a hustler. He's just trying to, you know, make ends meet um, and roaming around the New York area and, you know, doing odd jobs. Uh, and also, like, gets what the magic of the world is like. There's magic in this world. And one of the jobs he gets is to deliver an occult book to a reclusive sorceress who lives in Queens, which is just, I just love it. Um, <laughs> and it turns out that, like, he then opens a door into a much deeper realm of magic. And, you know, the abyss looks back. Like, he comes to their attention. And so now he has to deal with having woken an ancient, dark, terrifying power uh, that might destroy all of Brooklyn, because that's what happens. So, <laughs> so always it's, Brooklyn, man. Brooklyn I mean, gets the Brooklyn, you know, it's like in, well, it's like in the superhero movies, right? Like, Manhattan is always taking a beating. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> magical forces are moving in and around in Brooklyn. Having lived in Brooklyn, I can see it. I will tell you, I can see it. So, <laughs> so I just feel like this is like a perfect book for him, uh, for your boyfriend. So that is The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Laval. Everything Victor Laval has written is great. P.S. You should read all of them. Okay. Co-signed. Question six. Let's do it. Okay. Sorry about the jumping <laughs> in there. Okay. This is from Jake. He says, I'm going on vacation in mid-August and was hoping you guys could give me some recommendations for my trip. The flight will be nearly 12 hours there and back and I'll also be lying on a beach. Good for you. That sounds great. Um, I'm very much interested in gay romance or fiction, any genre really, but I would like some romance in there. I recently read A Little Life, so I'd really prefer something with a happy ending. Yes, thank you. Uh, The kill your gaze trope has worn on me recently, and I just want to read something that makes me smile. Though I will admit I kind of love the secret relationship forbidden romance that comes ready-made in a lot of gay fiction. I'm a problematic gay man, I guess. Anyway, I would love your suggestions. Uh, Okay, so that's Jake. Um, I'll keep going. So, um, yeah, the first... I picked a a historical romance with some supernatural elements and a realistic romance that has um, some of that, like, problematic, closeted stuff happening. So the first one is The Magpie Lord by K.J. Charles. Everything K.J. Charles writes is amazing. Just throwing that out there. And this is the first in her Charm of Magpie series. Um, So the book opens with a guy named Crane, Lord Crane. Um, This is, was it like the 1800s, I think? I think it's Victorian. Uh, Lord Crane is attempting suicide, but he's not doing it because he wants to die. He's doing it because there's like an evil in his family. Um, And so he survives and his butler recommends that he consult uh, what he calls a shaman, like some sort of magical person to come help him. So um, he decides to do that. Uh, And the person that he hires is a magician named Stephen Day, who has personal reasons for hating Crane's family. Crane's family is very wealthy. Um, He's a lord, so he's got whatever that uh, title is. Um, And his 
father and brother have died mysteriously. Lord Crane's father and brother have died mysteriously. Oh, he's an earl. So he inherited, you know, this estate, this giant estate. And also his family's, like, weird supernatural problems. So he hires this magician, Stephen, to come help. Stephen hates his family for his own reasons. Um, but then they start to, like, he takes the job because he needs the money. And then he starts to get to know the Earl, and realizes that he's really not like any aristocrat he's ever met. He's Because he was in China for 20 years, he's home now, but he's like got tattoos, he's got a really weird attitude. Also, he keeps trying to sleep with him, so that's kind of unexpected. Um, and so they are sol- they solve this mystery together, essentially, and as they're doing it, they fall for each other, and it's really steamy, if that's a thing you're looking for, which it might be. So reading it on a plane could be an interesting experience for you. Um, so yeah, that's The Magpie Lord by K.J. Charles. If you like Oscar Wilde, it's bantery like that. All of her books are bantery like that, and I really appreciate it. So there you go. Nice. Got uh, <laughs> my first pick for you is a contemporary romance called Taking a Chance. It's actually the third book in a series, but I always do this. I read things out of order all the time. Um, and I did, it didn't matter. It was fine. Um, and this plot is bonkers. So <laughs> it's, did I say the author? It's Taking a Chance by A.M. Arthur. And it's about a man named Elliot who has had a rough time of it in recent times. His fiancé cheated on him, and then his fiancé died, and then he went to rehab. And, like, his... He is just really basically starting to get back on his feet. He, like, hit his bottom. He like, spiraled down and had all kinds of addiction issues and is really, like, trying to put his life back together, which is obviously hard. Um, And also his heart is just broken because he thought he was going to marry this guy and then he found out that he was cheating on him and they didn't really have closure because then the guy died and it's, like, very complicated. Um... And he moves, so he moves in with his friend and her husband um, because they offer them their, they offer him his the spare room, and they also, in the meantime, have entered a local contest for a TV show that's like one of those um, HG like home renovation shows where a team comes and like you know redoes your kitchen or whatever uh, for to <laughs> to put you on reality TV, and it turns out they've won. Um, and one of there's the there's a duo that are doing this show, one of whom is Augusta. And the other whom is, um, oh, I can't remember his name, but it's anyway, it's his best friend. And his best friend on the show is openly out. And Augustus is like, kind of plays the straight man, literally. Like he's like the serious one. And also he's kind of, yeah, exactly. He's kind of playing straight. He and Augustus used to be married to a woman um, and it didn't work out. And and he has discovered since then that he is gay um, and he really wants to be with men. But he's only had one relationship with a man and it ended badly. And so Augustus and Elliot meet over the course of the home renovation, and there's immediate sparks, but there's all kinds of complications, and the complications are so, like, oh, they're so complicated and wacky and out there sometimes, and then also so heartbreaking that, like, I don't want to give any spoilers, um, but this book, I it gave me so many feelings, um, both of, like, the steamy kind and also, like, the heart feels kind. Like, it's just really, really well done, and I think it also tackles a lot of contemporary issues that, like, a lot of romances don't tackle, like rehab and, like, you know, HIV and, like, all of these different things come up in the course of this book, and cheating, and, like, all of these different things come up over the course of the book, um, and it just is so well handled. Like, the emotional content is so on target. I feel like it will be a very healing experience after something like A Little Life, where it just kind of rips you apart. Um, this book will put it back together. So that is Taking a Chance by A.M. Arthur. Okay, uh, my second selection for you is Tigers and Devils by Sean Kennedy, which is a modern 
um, a romance based around like Australian football, which is not a thing I'm usually into, but I really did enjoy this. So the narrator's name is Simon. He is a festival film director. He's out. He's come out to his friends um, and he goes to a, he's having like a hard time right in his relationship life. He's not met anybody. Um, whatever. And so he goes to a party. He's like forced to attend a party by his best friend, Roger, and, and um, his best friend's wife. He doesn't know anyone. And he's standing around like with a group of people who start talking about football. And he interjects into the conversation to like defend the honor of a football player named Declan Tyler, not realizing that Declan Tyler is like standing right there. Like he doesn't see him. And so they meet and they hit it off. Uh, Declan is gay, but closeted and is really kind of not paranoid, but, you know, is nervous about he's a he's an athlete and he's nervous about about it coming out that he's gay and that it might negatively affect his um, uh, career. And there's a scandal around his team that's already happening, so he doesn't really want the media attention anyway. So as they fall for each other, they have to figure out how to navigate that because Declan wants to keep it a secret. Simon is kind of not having it. Um, there's stuff with both of their families that's really complicated. So, you know, hashtag complicated. It is sweet and has a lot of angst and, like, feelings, but it's, ne- it's not as... Um, explicit as the KJ Charles like it's not an erotica so if you're like don't not want to read that on a plane or whatever this might be a better uh selection also it does have some really likable secondary characters which is a thing that I really enjoy in all romance novels so that is Tigers and Devils by Sean Kennedy and it is the first in a series of sports romance which is a whole thing like it a is whole a whole thing. thing it's a whole thing that I just discovered and I'm obsessed with have you read Farrah <laughs> Roshan's um football series yet no. Oh, yeah, we'll talk later. You're okay. Love. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so my second pick for Jake is Sunset Park by Santino Hassel, which is the second in a series. Um, I am just incorrigible. I just pick things up any which way. Um, but so it's Sunset Park. So the series is The Five Boroughs, which I kind of adore. Like, it's local to me. It's all of the five boroughs of New York. Um, and Sunset Park is in Brooklyn. Yeah, it's like southern Brooklyn below Prospect Park. Um, but so the main character, uh, there's two main characters, obviously. This is a this is a romance. Uh, Raymond Rodriguez is kind of like failure to launch. Like he lives with his older brother, but his older brother is in like a super intense relationship with another guy, and like they kind of would like their space. Um, I would this book, P.S. Like fair warning, like that in the first chapter, Raymond like comes downstairs and, like, discovers his brother and his brother's boyfriend, like, doing it on the couch and, like, hangs out for a minute watching, and you're like, wow, this is already intense. Um, so you mentioned you were down with problematic. Like, there's there's not any, like, actual, like, it's not because he's, like, turned on. He's just, like, trying to process his feelings. Anyway, okay, whatever. I'm, like, mangling this. Um, <laughs> there's some problematic stuff in this book, but I think it's worth it. So Raymond is, like, trying to get his shit together. He's trying to find a job. He kind of lost the last one because he smoked too much pot and like sat around his room too long and missed out on opportunities so he's trying to get his shit together and then his friend uh david offers to be his roommate david is a very out gay man who is like oh you know he's from connecticut he's very prim and proper he's always like got his pleats correct and you know is very polite and is basically the opposite of raymond who's like very like street uh, I mean, not like a gangster, but just like, you know, he's kind of grown up tough and like that's who he is. He's got tattoos and he worked as a longshoreman and like that's what it is. But they're friends and um, 
And, you know, so he decides to move in together. And Raymond is discovering that he is bi. Uh, he is trying to, like, figure out what to do with these feelings of interest he has in gay sex, specifically. Um, and David is like, well, hey, <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> Let's figure it out. Uh, and so, yeah, so the book is a lot about them kind of like both Raymond trying to get his life together and them trying to negotiate what a relationship between them might look like because they are very different. And Raymond is kind of like, He's a little bit of a bro, so he's not particularly sensitive about certain things. And while he's also not, like, judgy, he doesn't quite get certain things that are important to David. So there's a lot of negotiations in that respect. Uh, it is super steamy. There are, like, a billion, zillion sex scenes in it. Fair <laughs> a billion, zillion a sex scenes. A billion, scenes. zillion of Yay! them. It's really... <laughs> I thought it was really well done, though, in, like, the way that it, like, owns its problematic stuff. So that is Sunset Park by Santino Hassel. That's our show. And that's our show. <laughs> Look at What a way to end. Minutes. Man, <laughs> we got this down. Yeah, we did. We're so good. Anyway, so thanks y'all for listening. <laughs> you yeah. can rate us on iTunes, please. Uh, leave a review. Makes it easier for people searching for the show to find us. Uh, you can find us on social media. I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen is at Jen IRL. Jen with two N's. And thank you so much to our sponsors, Every Library and To the Bright Edge of the World by AUNIV for sponsoring the show. And we'll talk to y'all later. <laughs>